You're listening to the Real Estate Insider Podcast. A bold look at reality, news, analysis, strategies, and opinions. Direct from the veteran team at the Rain Research Institute. With today's host, real estate strategist, Russell Westcott. Well, welcome Monday morning, Mastery participants. Congratulations for your full participation. This is Monday morning call number eight, and the positive momentum is continuing to build. I'm Russell Westcott from the Real Estate Investment Network, your one-stop shop for all things investment real estate. Your host for another powerful message. Let's get right to the action. And without any further delay, please welcome the Chief Architect of the Rain Mastery Program, Mr. Richard Dolan. Welcome, Richard. Hey, Russ. How are you? I'm wonderful. Yourself? I'm doing wonderful, thanks. You know, the summer months are here and uh, the flowers are perking up. And us East Coasters are really appreciating uh, flowers in full bloom, unlike, unlike you folks who get to have it early uh, in the calendar year. Well, we're waiting for second. We're waiting for the second wave. Uh, the second wind of summer. Here it comes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a very interesting time of year, and it's interesting to watch and listen and hear how many of the RAIN members who have been enduring this conversation around RAIN Mastery and what it means uh, are looking at RAIN Mastery as a catalyst and having them get unstuck. You know, it in fact becomes somewhat of a mirror for them to take a look at what stops them from succeeding. Which brings me to the theme of this week's call, and that is in terms of what is it that stops you from succeeding. And I would have to say that the subtext to that would be having you get clear so you can get going. You see, there's three elements of practical psychology, and I've learned much of this by having studied much of Tony Robbins' work and much of the other happiness and performance psychology that I've been a real proud student of. You see, what stops us from moving forward or taking action or being our best is really the question that most of you listening right now should ask yourself. What stops you from moving forward, taking action, and being your best? What controls and determines the quality of your life? Like, Why do we do what we do, and what are the ultimate drivers behind all our actions, let alone even human action? You know, finding the answer is what's going to empower you as the father you are, the mother you are, or the investor you wish to be, or the investor you already are. But what stops us from moving forward is quite simple, and it's one answer. It's the shortest word I know, and it's fear. You see, fear can destroy our psychology and immobilize us from taking action. You know, all of us experience fear in some context during our lives. Uh, Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of love, uh, fear of not being loved, fear of being alone, uh, many of these things. But most of us feel a combination of these fears over our lifetime. You see, fear is hardwired into every human being. Nothing we do in our lifetime will take away this fear. The secret, though, is learning how to use your fear instead of letting fear use you. You know, I've shared this story once before, and forgive me if I've shared it with you, but for those who haven't heard it, I'll share it now. I've got a five-year-old boy. His name is Mateo, and uh, he truly is the magic in my life, a miracle in my world. And I recall one day just kind of horse playing with him in his bedroom. And we were on his bed like most fathers and sons can be. And uh, we're horsing around. We're putting each other into wrestle moves. And there's things he knows that just blows my mind. And 
almost put me in a submission. But needless to say, the way in which his bed is positioned, it's kind of abutting a wall. And in that wall, uh, it overlooks the backyard. Uh, there's a bit of a window that kind of peeks out. Well, anyways, he, he had actually uh, rolled off the bed. And as he did that, he kind of began to push me. And when it happened was I rolled first. And when I did, I got into a position where I was stuck between the bed and the wall on my back. Directly above him, above me rather, was him. And so I was kind of holding him in a way, but he actually thought he was stuck. Now in that moment, in that one moment, I looked in his eye and I actually saw fear. For a millisecond, in the pupil of his eye, as it dilated, I saw my boy was afraid. And in that moment, I knew that as a father and as a mentor, I knew I had the opportunity, the power to actually form or reconfigurate that fear and how it was going to take shape in his life. He said to me, he goes, Dad, I'm stuck. And he almost was about to yelp out a cry. But in that moment, I looked at him, I said, buddy, why don't you pull together the superpowers you know you've got and help me help you push ourselves out of this? Now, I, you know that I had a bit of control in the matter. You know, I was stuck, but my hand was up and around him. So I could, in fact, pull back down and push up. Well, without much further ado, three seconds go by and he began to growl. He was the cutest little thing, 45 pounds of him and all four feet of him. He started saying, I got the powers of the universe at my beck in, and he just pulled me up and himself out. Well, needless to say, in a matter of minutes, we both got out of the jam. And in that moment, I realized that my son would not fear being stuck. The idea of being claustrophobic would not become him. You know, to this day, he actually looks to get stuck in places. And I'm not suggesting that that's the perfect way of being a father. And I'm not suggesting that I'm going to give any advice on how to be a parent. What I'm saying is that in the moment when you see another human being, starting with yourself and then others, you have the opportunity that's quite unique to reconfigurate the way someone can fear something. So for my son, guess what he's always trying to do? Get stuck. Why? Because he can't wait to use his superpowers to get himself out. Hey, do you think that's going to serve him when he becomes an adolescent, a teenager? Do you think that when he gets to become a young adult, when he gets rejected or perhaps is let down, perhaps when he's in a very confrontational moment in his life or in a circumstance, do you think he'll dig deep and find the powers within that will help him purge through? Well, I hope so. And all I'm saying is that in that particular moment when he does, it's all rooted back to the moment where he could have, in fact, really succumbed to his fears. So there's two primary fears. And the two primary fears that you've got to get clear about that really does drive human beings. While we all experience countless variations, there are these two primary fears that all human beings share. And I would like to invite you to make note of them. Number one is that we're not enough. We're not enough. A primary fear, number one, is that we're not enough. We fear we'll never be enough. We fear we'll never be enough. And we fear we'll never have enough. But the second primary fear is that we won't be loved. Now, being loved, don't make this be about us talking about getting in love and being in love and, you know, come on, let's turn off the lights kind of love. I'm talking about the kind of love where you really know that deep and down and inside you, that whether it's from mom or dad or others around you that matter to you, that not being loved, not being fully embraced in all you are and all you aren't, 
Those are the two primary fears that we truly operate and live with all the time, don't we? So what controls and determines the quality of our lives is, well, three things. They're your emotions, the way in which you react and respond to the things in which you fear. There's then the physiology that accompanies the emotions. And you know what that looks like. You know, the the droopy shoulders, the sad long face, the whole idea that the way in which you kind of mope you around generates the physiology that matches your emotionality. But the third that determines the quality of our lives is your focus, your language and meaning. You see, language and meaning, the way in which you use words, the way in which you search for them, and the meaning associated with them, in fact, are catalysts for the physiology in which you have in your life and then the emotionality in which you drive for yourself and for others. You know, said a different way, if I were to say to you that my weekend was both magical and powerful. Now, would that not just kind of excite you to learn more? Now, if I told you that it really was experienced on my couch from Friday through Sunday, and I am so proud of it, you'd probably giggle saying, geez, he found power and magic on his couch? You bet. I napped like a newborn and was fed grapes as if I were royalty. It was quite a spectacular weekend as I just kind of got myself through my research and my stuff for a week ahead of great traveling with Russell and Patrick and company. But the point of the matter is is that, you see, what I got your attention on was the power and magic of my weekend. You see, words, the language, and its meaning produces a focus. And that focus drives your physiology, and the physiology drives your emotions. So, for example, back to my son, when I said to him, use your superpowers... Do you think a five-year-old is going to really challenge me and say, well, hey, hold on a second there, Dad. When I was born, I wasn't born with a cape. That I know. You see, we have minds that don't know what's true and what's really false. We're emotional beings. Said a different way, if you were to laugh for an entire hour, your mind doesn't know if you're actually authentically laughing. All your mind knows is that you're physically laughing. And as a result of physically laughing, you're generating the endorphins that your body then produces to, in fact, match the physiology in which you're generating. Interesting. So if, in fact, we begin to watch the language and the meaning behind the words we use that we now know are linked to the physiology, it then drives the emotionality, which then begins to assist us and even empower you in the way in which you deal with fears. So what controls and determines the quality of our lives? are the meanings we associate to the things in our lives, which are shaped by our own personal psychology and our, what we would call our worldview, like the beliefs we've created. And our worldview is almost, metaphorically speaking, like your sunglasses. It's the lens in which you look through that you see life, that you see the world. It's your worldview. And our meaning is established each individual will have a pattern of emotions that they, that you, associate to this meaning as, well, your natural way of coping. And I want you to really kind of write that one word down if you could. Coping. Coping and its opposite, thriving, are very two different worlds. And if you recall back in the earlier phone calls that we've had in Rain Mastery, there's a victim and there's a volunteer. There's coping and there's thriving. You see, all meanings are driven and have driven your individual patterns of emotion. We all have patterns of emotion. I have patterns of emotion. 
And all of us have a variety of emotions we consistently experience, and these emotions are driven by the three forces that mold the meanings we take from those emotions. Now, Tony Robbins would call that the emotional triad, right? So if you were to draw a picture of, let's say, just a triangle, if it were, at the very top, it would be force number one. The pattern of how you use your physical body, such as breathing and posturing and movement, now, you know, Russ has been so gentle and kind with me over the past 12 months as we've worked Rain Mastery together coast to coast, and he would often call me a state shifter. And the reason why I think he would often say that is because he knows that my training and the way in which I occur in the world is very much respectful of how I use my physical body, such as my breathing, my posturing, and movement. Sometimes I can appear on a stage, and folks, you don't know, but maybe I don't want to be there. Maybe I'm jet-lagged. I might have been flying for 12 hours and haven't eaten since Tuesday. You have no clue why, because my commitment is bigger than my complaint. My commitment is bigger than my complaint. And so the physicality, my body, my breathing, my posture, my movement, all the little things that you would look for to see, is he authentically there and wants to be? You would never detect there being anything other than I am all in and there, because that is the first pattern that creates meaning. The second, if you were to draw this down, is a pattern of whatever you focus on, you will feel. You know, I shared this with Russ as we did an interview regarding the upcoming joint venture raising capital uh, extravaganza, an incredible day that I can't wait for here in Toronto. And I remember sharing this with him is that it was once taught to me that whatever you fear, you will expect. And whatever you expect, you will experience. So think about it this way in reverse. Whatever you're experiencing, you are expecting because whatever you expect is what you're actually fearing. So you see, back to force number two, whatever you focus on, you will feel. I remember you know, many, many moons ago, I took up motorcycle uh, racing quite aggressively. In fact, even uh, went into motocrossing. And I remember I had a massive fear of, of hitting trees because you, know, you would kind of whiz through forests at pretty large speeds. And I remember the very first time that I actually went into a, a competition, my father had asked me, he goes, what do you fear the most? And I said, I fear hitting a tree. He says, well, just don't. Well, I thought that was pretty sound advice. And sure enough, right out of the gate, on the first turn, I remember seeing this particular tree. Now, understand, to see a particular tree in a forest takes something, doesn't it? It took focus. And I saw the front end of my bike, and I saw that tree, and I saw riders ahead of me, and there was, of course, a riders behind me. And I was going at about 70 kilometers an hour, maybe about 40 at the time of the turn, but that, that tree sure looked pretty damn close. And next thing you know, I basically went head on to that particular tree. Now, I didn't get hurt, not too badly, but I was certainly out of the race. The point is that I focused on that tree, and whatever you focus on, that you fear, you will expect, and whatever you expect, you will experience. So you can ask yourself, what are you focusing on? What are you focusing to feel on. Now, force number three, the third and final pattern, is a pattern as soon as we put words into an experience, it changes the meaning we experience. You see, when you add words to an experience, it changes the meaning we experience. You know, back to my silly stories, I don't mind sharing them, and I hope you don't either, but my son, Mateo, I remember I would take him out for dinner, and as a waiter or waitress would come over and they would ask, you know, how was your dinner? I would often say, this is horrible. This is just horrible. It's disgusting. I would use words like this from time to time. And not realizing that my son, who would at the time be two or three or four, 
would be absorbing this like a sponge, like any other child would. Well, sure enough, when I'm out to dinner with my young man, and we're just kind of dining like a couple guys should, and the waitress or waiter comes over and says, hey, listen, uh, how was your dinner so far? My son pipes up and says, it's disgusting. Now, you know, I know at this particular time he knows what it means, but I think he thinks it's just kind of good common courtesy to actually use those words. Now, meanwhile, we're both finger-licking our plates and whatnot. The moral of the story, though, is this. You see, for him and for I, of course, it's not disgusting. But what if you did have a disgusting moment? What if you had something that was less than perfect? What if you were to add words to an experience in such a way that the words, in fact, redefine the experience? In other words, we live life in such a way that if we just experienced it without adding meaning, meaning adding no words, you now just are experiencing life as it is to be experienced, as it is and as it is not. So force number one is how you use your physical body, such as breathing, posturing, and movement. Got to watch that. And force number two is whatever you focus on, you will feel. Don't look at the tree and don't fear hitting it because you probably will. But force number three is a pattern of as soon as you put words into an experience, it changes the meaning we experience. And that's kind of where Rain Mastery kind of came to be. You know, what we do and why we do it really comes down to meeting our six humanistic needs. Now, they're the universal force of human needs, but the six humanistic needs is the fundamental drive within each of us. And we know that as RAIN members, as RAIN partners, we know that you must, in fact, continue to be uh, propelled forward in a quest of experiencing a life of meaning. So the six that you must always fulfill for yourself but help others fulfill for themselves are the following. Number one is you've got to deliver a sense of certainty. All humans need certainty. And inside the Rain Mastery world, this is where we know that in the spirit of branding yourself, creating the linguistic set, presenting yourself with power, grace, and ease, connecting with purpose, being able to have a business plan so that you can produce this is important. Certainty is what humans need. Number two is humans need variety. And that's often where in the world of RAIN, we recognize that people who don't experience a wide variety of education in a learning experience begin to quit on themselves. And it's not because we're not teaching a larger variety, it's because they're not experiencing enough variety. So variety is important to keep you engaged. If you are blind to what varieties you need, you will likely become bored, disenchanted, and likely disengaged. Number three is significance. If what you do and why you do it produces no significance, if in other words, if you're not producing a result in the world that matters to anyone, then why are you doing it? Of course, for Rain Mastery, it all begins with you. So if you don't find it of a significance, then why would anyone else find it significant? Number four is connection. The magic sauce for RAIN monthly meetings is likely because we come together as a family to support each other and remind one another as to why we do what we do. And a very strong anchor, a metaphor, if it were, for all of why we get together is because of our beliefs. That connection is important. That connection is where community thrives and community is reinvented and reinvigorated. Number five is growth. Not just personally, but professionally, financially, spiritually, emotionally, familially, uh, romantically. You've got to grow. If you do not grow, you begin to die. And this is very important, to always be challenging yourself so that you know that you're expanding and deepening, strengthening and absorbing all there is. And last but not least, 
most important to me and hopefully you is you've got to be a matter of contribution. Being able to give to others and be a cause for others' growth or attainment of their goal, desire, objective, or mandate. To be a part of someone's fulfilling legacy, to be a part of their journey, to be a contribution in someone's life is of one of the most important. So in terms of certainty, you know, everyone wants stability about their basic necessities like food, shelter, and other material resources. But when people cannot control their physical circumstances, they may seek certainty through a state of mind. And this is where religious faith or even positive outlooks work. You know, in the variety category, people have a need to change their state to exercise their body and emotions. So therefore, they seek variety through a number of means like stimuli or change of scene or physical activity. But that's where mood swings live too. You see, in our significance, Everyone needs to feel special and important in some way. People seek significance through obtaining recognition from others or even from themselves. But when people feel insignificant, remember, they may make themselves feel insignificant by getting angry, because that's where they grow, being significant. In terms of your connection, humans need to feel connected with someone or something, a person, an idea, a value, a habit, or even a sense of identity. But connection may take the form of love or merely of intense engagement growth, everything in the universe is either growing or dying, so there is no third alternative. And in terms of spiritual need, people cannot be spiritually fulfilled unless they are contributing to others as well. So it is only by meeting the spiritual needs that you will experience sustainable joy versus momentary pleasure. There's always a way to fulfill a need. The sky fills with possibility, but the skill lies in finding a sustainable way to fulfill it in a way that gives you more pleasure than pain. And that's where Rain Mastery begins, being able to deliver on more pleasure than pain. Learning how to be a real estate investor is one thing, but learning how to master your life in whatever direction you wish to take it, to produce the results because you say so, and elevating your conditions of satisfaction is what these calls are about, and it's what you being engaged in them is all meant to be. Russ, back to you. Wow. Another powerful message, Richard. I love the question of what's stopping you. It's always a great question to ask and be open and honest to the answer. Thank you very much for your time today, Richard. You're welcome, Russ. And Rain Partners, I wanted to thank you for your time, trust, and full engagement with the Rain Mastery Program. The next Rain workshops are just around the corner, so make sure you're out live for all the insights and key connections you'll get at the workshops. If you have any questions about the RAIN Mastery Program or anything within your RAIN partnership, with the, you can always call our office at 888-824-7346, and we'd be glad to help. This is Russell Westcott from the Real Estate Investment Network signing off. Bye for now, everyone. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening and engaging with the Real Estate Insider Podcast, a bold look at reality. Share the reality.